you never know what you're going to get here on a Sunday morning. That's what I like. Uh, <clears throat> it's perspective. It's all perspective, how you, you see things. Uh, I, I'm like right on the edge of being emotional. And so I'm telling myself, don't be emotional, don't be emotional. But I always say it's okay to be emotional. So I don't know where this thing, whole thing is going. But uh, you become empty nesters uh, at the beginning of the month. You move your daughter to Nashville, your 18-year-old daughter to Nashville, and she's gone. Uh, and it's just my wife and I look, looking at each other, which we've we've honestly prepared ourselves throughout our marriage for that that moment we we date we still date uh and we always have dated ever since Corey was born and um we've always told our kids that my relationship with their mother is the most important relationship in the house and uh, we've kept perspective of that and then uh we went on the ski trip had an incredible experience uh I know Eli is in the room, and when it says that, I see you back there, brother. Uh, when it says that God will make sure no harm comes to you, and uh, the one student who is in the process of losing his sight, how do you rectify that? How do you, if God's not going to allow you to be harmed, and he speaks up and says he's concerned about who you are, your identity in him more than he is the shell. Everybody in the room just went, oh, like Micah said. Made sense. Just absolutely. And so perspective, again, was you're seeing this from a totally different perspective. And then we got back on Monday, and I turned around. uh, Well, I I got off the bus at 7, home at 7.30, showered, and went to a suicide training at nine o'clock in the morning for police officers how do you prevent police officers from committing suicide that was fun uh but it's a big deal because these these men and women see things that are unbelievable and uh believe it or not that that statistic is very high and i thank god for the our our community police dave and uh, the whole team and so we're here to support them through that and then turned around and left and got on got back in the car monday afternoon and drove to tulsa to uh help my mom who has now moved in with my sister she's 84 years old and uh dealing with dementia and uh, had a stroke and is feeble And so we literally had to move all of her stuff out of her home this week, the last few days, and just going through that stuff. And again, it's all perspective. You know, it's uh, where you're coming from and what you see. And I mean, my mom, to me, is uh, probably the most amazing person I've ever met, that she... Uh, as a single mom raised five kids on a teacher's salary, she worked and raised five kids. I was on the lift with Judah Getchell, and she's like, when's the first time you ever skied? And I said, I was in high school, and I didn't have enough money to uh, go on the ski trip with the church, and the church paid my way. 
That's why I don't have any problem taking taking care of students today. I said, but my mom, you know, didn't have the money to do that, and she's she's got four younger brothers, and she goes, I can't imagine my mom raising five kids by herself. <laughs> and then again, it's all perspective. And uh, so we got back last night at uh, seven o'clock. But you, you Friday, uh, my friend Todd calls. Todd, who's sitting back here running this slides, and uh, he informed me that he had issues this last week, actually a couple months, but uh, did the CT scan, and the doctors informed him that he has pancreatic cancer. And there is a, a now a, a timeline for him. And so your 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 friend, uh, that changes perspective of everything. In this whole room right here, it changes perspective. Absolutely. And so uh, you you come in here with with a heavy heart, and um, when one hurts, we all hurt. And so uh, the best the best thing to do the best thing to do is to keep our focus, keep our perspective. Uh, as Keith and I were talking, is uh, no man in uh, Todd's seat wants pity. No man wants pity. They only want confidence to know that their family is going to be taken care of. That's what any man in Todd's seat wants. Let's make sure my family's taken care of. And I promise you, Todd, your family's going to be taken care of. Yeah. Yes. Let's read the word. Um, for those of you that are uh, guests with us, We've been traveling through the Gospels now for, gosh, I don't know, since uh, summertime or something like that, but it seems 45 weeks. That's This is the 45th message in this Gospel series. So if you've missed it, you need to go back. But we're almost, we're, we're literally coming to the triumphal entry, probably hit it next week. Uh, but we're that close to Jesus' the end of his earthly ministry where he's just hung out with these teenage Boys, anywhere from 15 years old to 30 years old, he's hung out with these knucklehead guys that are more concerned about their stomachs and what's going to happen in the future, what's going to be theirs, what do I get out of this thing. They're just teenage boys. And so he's spent his time uh, hanging out with them, and he's still, as he's coming to the last week of his life, he's still teaching them and ministering to them and and showing them how to do miracles to show him show them how to do healings. And so that brings us to this passage of scripture today where we are. It's actually uh, paralleled in Matthew, Mark and Luke and I wanted to make sure uh that we covered uh this right here. So it says in Luke 18 verse 31. In Luke 18 verse 31. He said he took the twelve aside. Remember, he had, he had public ministry and he had private ministry. 
public ministry at this point, he's telling parables because the Pharisees are following him and they've already condemned, they've already blasphemed him and he's, he's now hidden the truth from them because of their own choice. But then he pulls the 12 aside and he explains the parables to them and he wants to teach them. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The disciples knew, they literally knew that Jesus was going to die if he went back to Jerusalem. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. They were students of the Word. They, stu- they had the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament, so they had Psalm 22. They had Isaiah 53 that said, the prophet said, there's going to be a suffering servant, somebody who is going to die for their sins. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus is saying... I'm about to fulfill what David said in Psalm and what Isaiah wrote in in chapter 53. That's me. That's what's about to happen. He says, For we will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. Jesus is literally sitting there telling his 12 disciples one more time, Look, This is what it says in the Old Testament prophets, and this is what's going to happen to me. I'm telling you, I'm that one. It's not the first time that Jesus said that to his disciples. You go back to Matthew chapter 16. Remember when he asked, who do do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And then right behind that, Jesus comes and says, well, this is what's going to happen to me. And then one more chapter after that, Matthew chapter 17, is the Mount Hermon. They go up the transfiguration, and one more time, he's got his boys up there on top of the mountain. He says, look, this is coming. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be put to death, but I will rise again in three days. And if you go back to two weeks ago when we were last talking about the Gospels, the disciples that go, what do we get out of this? Remember this? Peter's like, he's like, what do we get out of this? We know that you're about to die, but, and he says, well, in the end, you guys are going to reign over the 12 tribes. So he's already like, he's covered all this ground with them, yet they're young men and they still don't get it. They don't see it. They can't see it. Look, you're able to see it today, one, because it's after the fact, but two, you have a Holy Spirit residing in you that allows you to see it. It illuminates and it, and it reveals the Scripture to you. They didn't have that. The Spirit hadn't come yet to live and reside inside of them. And so literally, they are dependent upon their own knowledge of what they know about the Scripture. Then he says, it says there in verse 34, they understood none of these things. They're just like looking at Jesus like, Yeah, I don't get it. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. And then we go into uh, the next story. The next story is this, is that uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says, The mother of Zebedee's sons approached him for her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, 
she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. (laughs) Do you get this? Do you get this picture right here? Jesus has got his 12 guys around him and mom comes up to Jesus. All the guys are sitting there like going, oh gosh, here comes mom. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this is like being on the football field and mom comes up to the coach. Right? You with me? And he says, she says, I want my sons to start this football game. I want them to be the left guard and the right guard. I know they only weigh 150 pounds, but they deserve to start. Put them in the game. This is really what she's saying. And it's total signs of, watch this, insecurity of a mother. It's her issue. Not their issue, it's the mom's issue. To believe that they can't, one, do this on their own. And two, that she won't let them do this on their own. That she has to go defend them and fight for them and get their place for them. That's her problem. That's a big deal, moms. You need to listen to that. Because watch watch what happens right here. This is really interesting. Jesus looks at the mom and she he says, you don't know what you're asking. You see, mom just tried to position her boys into a situation that she wasn't even sure about. Literally, the mom comes up and says, look, my two boys are better than these other ten. <laughs> you got ten guys that are standing around like, oh, who does she think she is? She doesn't even know us. She hasn't seen us. And now Jesus is like, lady, you're asking for an awful lot. I don't know if you really know what you're asking for. Have you seen the other team? Have you seen how big that other team is? You want to put your boys in there. He says, he looks at the boys, the two boys. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? (laughs) You get this, right? Mom's like, I want my boys on the right hand, on the left hand. Boys are standing back there. Oh, gosh, what did mom just do? And the coach looks at him and says, you guys can do this? Well, what are they going to say? They got to defend their mom's insecurity now. Yeah, we can do this. I'm sure their knees were knocking. They had no idea what we're signing up for. But, yeah, we'll take this cup. We'll take it. We can do it. They said yes because their mom put them in that situation. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup. You see, it was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And if you go to Acts, if you go to Acts after the whole crucifixion and the history of the church, guess who the first disciple was that was martyred for the sake of Christ? It was James. He was the first to go down. 
John, on the other hand, he was the last. He was the one that was exiled, and he sat there and he wrote the gospel. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He even wrote Revelation. But he was the last one to die for the sake of Jesus Christ. He says, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for when it has been prepared by my Father. He says, I can't promise where you're going to sit on the throne with me, but I can guarantee that you will die for me. You will be killed. I promise you that. Verse 24, it says, When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying this. You can be eager to be a starter in the game all you want. It can be all about you. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not here for myself. I'm here to serve. Jesus said, I'm going to get as low as I possibly can. He did that from day one when he was born in a manger. I'm going to get as low as I possibly can, and I'm going to model this for you. I don't have to have some grandiose stage. I don't have to, like, I, I just come here to, to hang out, to serve, to love, and to care for people. And if you guys, my 12 guys, you want to be on my team, that's what I'm calling you to do. So I'm just calling you to serve. I don't care about the throne thing. I don't know what's going to happen there. That's the Lord's deal. That's got my father's deal. But as far as I'm concerned, you're just here to serve. And then we go to the next story. That's the last story I'm going to cover today. You you actually look in Matthew 20. This seems like there's a contradiction here. But in Matthew 20, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, and then Luke 18, it says, As he approached Jericho... That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? That the Bible would contradict itself. The truth of the matter is there's two Jerichos. There's the Old Testament Jericho that Joshua was the one that like uh, took control of and he defeated in the Old Testament. And then about a mile and a half to two miles south of that, Herod the Great built another Jericho. So guess what? The Bible doesn't contradict itself. He literally went from one Jericho to another Jericho. And then I'll take you to Mark to finish this story. Mark chapter 10 says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, see, he's used both there, coming and going, with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. 
If you look at Matthew, Matthew says there's two blind beggars sitting by the road. Mark says there's only one and he names one. Mark was more focused on the one who was vocal. There was one that was vocal and he literally called him by name. Now here's an interesting thing is uh, years ago, uh, I took a group of kids back in 1990 down to Dallas, and we ended up doing a mission trip, and uh, it all fell apart. But the last second, we, we found this one church that we went in to help. And the church was called Bartimaeus Baptist Church. We're like, how'd you get the name Bartimaeus Baptist Church? And the pastor, who was handicapped... And 80% of his congregation was handicapped. Said because Bartimaeus was one of the few Christians that was ever named and healed. And so we've named our church Bartimaeus Baptist Church because we expect God to do great healing in our church. And our kids got to serve that church for a whole week, and it was a beautiful thing. But I've never, ever forgotten the name Bartimaeus after that point. So Mark has literally has literally called out this beggar by name and says his name is Bartimaeus. We don't know why he gave him a name, why he called him out. He says he was a blind beggar, was sitting by the road, and when he heard it, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He just said it. And if you if you missed it, he just said son of David. Mark hardly ever refers to Jesus as son of David. Matthew does it quite a few times, but Mark never does. But this is what Bartimaeus said. He called him the son of David. Why was it important for him to call him the son of David? Because Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of King David. The Messiah of the Jews is going to come through King David. And this beggar on the side of the road who's blind, can't see, hears that it's Jesus. And he says, son of David. In other words, you're the Messiah, I believe. I believe you're the one that's coming through the lineage of David. Says many warmed him to keep quiet. He had to have been obnoxious. Right? Jesus! It's kind of like Danny singing up here. Shh, shh, just leave him alone, leave him alone, just let him go. But he was crying out all the more when they were trying to hush him. I'm telling you, when desperate people want to be healed, they're not going to let a crowd stop them. This man was desperate. Have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus stopped. Just stopped right there. Said, call him. That one that's making all the noise over there, call him over here. Disciples all around him. It's one of the few things that you're going to see in public ministry of Jesus here in his last days. He said, call him over here. So they called the blind man Bartimaeus and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. You did it, buddy. You got his attention. Go to him, man. He wants you. 
and he threw off his coat and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. He had to like throw off his coat because he didn't want to trip over it. He's like, I'm going. I hear him. I hear the crowd. I'm moving toward. He can't see. He's feeling his way over there. And Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> he, a blind man comes up to Jesus, says, heal me. And Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus knew exactly what the blind man wanted. He just wanted to hear this man say in his faith a need for a Savior. I'll give you a chance to vocalize what you actually want. And the beautiful thing is, here's what this man said, Rabbani, which is Rabbi. The blind man said to him, I want to see. I want to see my Messiah. Yeah, that's what I want to see. I want to see you. I just want to see. And watch this. It says, Jesus said to him, go. Bartimaeus, buddy, go. Your faith has saved you. Immediately, he could begin to see to follow Jesus on the road. You see, it doesn't even say that Jesus reached down and touched him. It doesn't say that. What is it that healed the blind man? It's faith. It's faith alone. Bartimaeus, just simply because you believe you're healed. I can't I can't teach that story this morning without asking a healing from my brother. So, uh Todd, I'm going to put you in an awkward situation. And your family, I'm going to ask you to come right up here. I'm going to take this chair right here. And you guys just get up and get out of the way here for a second. And when I say get up and get out of the way, I'd actually like for you to come over here and circle around my friend. Because we're going to pray for a healing right here. right there in that chair right out in the middle uh, you guys get up here Matt you guys gotta get up here and get around them I know it's gonna be hot but Kim doesn't like to be touched but we're omitting that right now where's your, your family in there Kim where are you alright you get in and you just put a hand on somebody you get this circle nice and tight and uh we just need to vocalize some prayers today for our friend Todd. And uh, he's going for tests this week to confirm what the doctor has already pronounced to him. But 
I believe God can pronounce something totally different. So whoever would like to pray, just pray over my brother. God, you're a big God. And this is a big prayer. Take care of this family. Heal this family. And I'm not talking about just Kim and Abigail and Sophie. I'm talking about us all. You would uh, bring comfort, that you would bring peace, that you would bring healing to Todd. I pray that as he goes this week and gets reports that your hand is all over it. We trust you. We just trust you, Father. No matter what the outcome is, we just trust you. And uh, Lord, just thanks for family. Thanks for loving us. We're dependent upon you. and the whole Levener family. Uh, my name is Tim Timmons, and um, I heard about your journey today. Um, and remember, this is not your story. Um, this is the dumbest story in the world. The story is the perspective that Jesus w- gives us as we walk through this stuff. I mean, that, that is his story. Um, and if you don't know, I, I was you know, given five years to live uh, 16 years ago. Um, and the biggest thing that I've learned in all of this is that I woke up again today. Like, this is the thing that Jesus has said, is like, you guys, tomorrow, don't don't even worry about that. Like, just today, like, just hang with me today, and I'm at work in all these things. I love the people around you more than you do. I'm at work in them. I'm at work in everybody. Um, And this has kind of changed the way that I live. Like, it's just given me this freedom to go, okay, I've agreed with other people in the name, with the power and the authority of Jesus, and he promises he's going to act upon these prayers, and he knows what's best for his kingdom and for his people. Um, so hopefully be encouraged. Um, I know that whole Levener crowd uh, family has your back, um, and know that you are loved all over the place, even in Texas tonight. So, all right, you guys. Um, hope to see you soon. Uh, promise you promise you all right uh god uh thanks for being with us today thanks for your love thanks for taking care of us thanks for healing bartimaeus we pray for that healing for my brother i pray these things in jesus name amen